All right. So we have been through a, a detailed discussion of the beginning of Joshua and the conquest of Canaan. And it may seem a little weird to you that this week we're going to pretty much jump straight from chapter six to 24 um, and finish the book. But the middle of the book is pretty much the same. Um, and since we're doing, we're doing an overview of all of scripture, not, you know, detailed study of each book, the middle is pretty much what we've been through. It continues with battles and more fortified towns and more victories. And finally, many chapters <laughs> on exactly how the land got divided up between the tribes. And I'm pretty sure that that's not that exciting to go through. <laughs> it really is a lot of detail of, well, this section went to this tribe and this section went to this tribe and I'm skipping it. So we're going to 20, chapter 24. Um, but I wanted to look at, first of all, some of the things we've pulled out so far so that we remember them. Um, some of the basic, five, five of the main things we've pulled out of the book so far. Whenever God tells us to be courageous, God also reminds us he is with us which is just kind of an amazing thing to realize whenever you see that in scripture, be courageous, do not be afraid. It's, it's followed with, I will be with you. And it is an amazing promise. Uh, remember we have choices every day to do what is right over what is expedient. And it does come at us all the time, which we're gonna kind of talk about that in a little bit. Choosing to listen to, trust, and believe the marginalized is vital for our community to move forward, which if they hadn't done that, the spies hadn't done that, Israel wouldn't have been able to move into the promised land if they hadn't blessed the nations like they were supposed to. Telling our stories of faith is how we disciple others, especially the next generations. <clears throat> and sometimes God's people get him all wrong, but he still bears their sins and loves them. And isn't that good news for all of us? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that all of us get him wrong sometimes. Then we get to the end and Joshua is near death and he has last words to speak. Some similar to um, Moses having last words to speak. But before we get to the last words, I have a story to tell you. It is a story of many years ago when we were living in Minnesota. And I'm not sure if it was like when we were moving here or not. I can't remember the details, but uh, we were driving down the highway anyway in Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, I think this particular thing was in Wisconsin. And I don't remember who was driving, so we don't know. <laughs> but um, kind of weren't paying attention to the gas gauge or else maybe we were just kind of doing what you do and you think, oh, I can make it to the next exit. I can make it to the next exit. You know, I, I, we can do this. And um, got to the point where we ran out of gas, <laughs> but we ran out of gas at this particular spot where there was an exit ramp. So pulled out of the exit ramp and praise the Lord, the exit lamp ramp was a downhill slope. <laughs> so we basically coasted down the exit ramp and into a gas station and up to the pump. Um, I don't know how that happened so well, but, it, <laughs> but that's what happened. Um, I don't know, you might have a better memory of exactly where that was or whatever, but um, fact is, we couldn't, we couldn't make it to the next refueling option. We had not planned well, and we weren't paying enough attention. And I wish I could say that was the only time we ever ran out of gas in our lives, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was just the most fortunate time. But eventually all of us figure out that um, there are times we need to refuel. And there are times we need to watch the tank and keep an eye on levels and, um, plan for the fact that there may not be anywhere to fill the tank up. When we were in Southern Illinois a couple of weeks ago, I kept saying that, you know, when the gas tank got down to a quarter, I was like, 
we should fill this up because there aren't very many gas stations down here. <laughs> so uh, we need to take advantage of them when we see them. So keep this little tale in the back of your mind <laughs> as we go forward. Uh, anyone want to start reading Joshua 24? Joshua, choose today whom you will serve, but for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The people, the people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods, for the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord for alone he is. For he alone is our God. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the, life, the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. Those who had personally experienced all the Lord had done for Israel. All right. Thank you. So um, what's the challenge that Joshua leaves them with as he is about to leave the scene? pretty common uh, verse. We actually had it on a plaque on our wall for a long time. I'm not sure if it's still in the kitchen. I think it may have broke. Never, never abandon the Lord and serve the Lord and only the Lord. Mm -hmm. Choose today, who are you going to serve? Only the Lord without abandoning him or something else? So he issues this challenge to the Israelites and they promise that they will serve the Lord. Did you catch anything important here in how that all played out? these sentences in the last slide kind of give us an implication of how things are going to play out. Those that actually experienced the power of the Lord um, served him. Mm -hmm. But probably those later on might not. Yeah, I think you get the definite implication that when Joshua and the elders died, they did not keep their promise anymore. So it was the people who had experienced that, you know, crossing the Jordan and everything else. But after that, not so much. I mean, they had, um, they had this challenge and they had a choice to make and they had made a wholehearted commitment to it and then it seems to imply that they walked away from that commitment when their leader died um, and when all of the elders died. So the huge question for me in this is why? Why did that happen? Why would you make that commitment and then drop it? And it's, it's just this one sentence that's tucked in here, but it's really massively important and really common even now. And especially as a pastor, that just... I just look at that and think, no, no, that can't happen. <laughs> that that's not something that you know a spiritual leader can look at and um, take lightly. That after the leaders are gone, the serve the serving the Lord is gone. So, <clears throat> what to me? Why? What causes people to stop serving God? And how do we safeguard ourselves from it? Because I doubt that we're very different. 
And um, seems to me that it kind of boils down to what happens and what I see happen a lot of the time is that times of transition or vulnerability can break our bonds of faith and our community. And so when something happens that really changes things, um, that is a big transition or, or big difficulty. So like, what are some common times that you've seen this sort of thing happen? Not just a Joshua problem. But you move away from college and all of your best friends that you thought would be your friends forever, you eventually you never hear from them at all. Some of them you do. But all of those really intense friendships, they dissipate as we all go our own ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, young adulthood is really a huge time when this happens. You move away from home, you go to college, you move away from college and all your community and you, you uproot yourself and you go somewhere else. I haven't seen it, but I can guess why those moved away. It was the, it was the, it was their parents who made the promise. And once their parents died, I guess the parents forgot, didn't tell their children of what the Lord had did for them, for them or the children didn't believe them. That is very insightful, Catherine. And that is one of the things we're going to talk about in a few minutes. That um, that's exactly what happened. Um, I would also say, well, kind of like what Catherine just said, like, People can tell you about World War II, but if you didn't live in World War II, you don't know what it was like. So people can tell you about leaving Egypt and all of the horrors and the trials that happened in the deserts. Um, but if you don't have an actual emotive connection to that, it doesn't affect you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's why if you... Look around right now, you see some people who are going, well, Nazism isn't so bad. And you're like, what, excuse me? <laughs> they don't have that connection. They didn't live through it. Whereas the people who did. And your children, 20 years from now, are going to say, what was this COVID thing about? I was actually just thinking that this morning, like, how are we going to explain this? I was hanging up my masks by my keys and I'm like, in 20 years, 30 years, the grandkids are just going to be like, why did you have a bunch of masks hanging next to your keys and your coat and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. um, but I was also going to say, um, historically or scientific, I don't know. Um, families that um, accumulate wealth. So uh, think of like the Rockefellers or um, the um, Vanderbilts and things like that. Um, families like that tend to lose their wealth in the third generation because the first generation built the wealth, the second generation remembers growing up both wealthy and not wealthy, but the third generation only remembers the privilege. Um, and there's actual studies on this. Um, so if you, if you follow families who still have their wealth, it's generally because that money has been put into a trust fund that kids, well, that anybody in the family cannot touch. They only get their specific amount per whatever. Um, which is a really interesting way of, of looking at what we're talking about. Like, if you didn't grow up with the hardship, if you just grew up with the privilege, it's hard for you to, to recognize what, what the problem is. Mm -hmm. What are you doing that? Don't, don't, don't do that's that. The value that's associated with what you now have. But what I mean is that it's uh, an adage called shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Yeah, and we can definitely apply that in some ways to faith. 
What other transitions or vulnerabilities happen that cause us to maybe walk away from church, community, faith, whatever? Tragedies. Mm -hmm. Sicknesses or other just tragedies can pull you away. Yep. I know I faced that, you know, when, when I was a brand new Christian and my mom died and my dad was unavailable for, you know, he became an alcoholic and I, I made, I looked that decision in the eye and said, am I going to still follow? I don't really like God right now. <laughs> so it can definitely pull you away. Times like right now when people are stressed and exhausted and don't have the energy, it's easy to say, I'm going to let that slide because it's just too much. The tank is empty. Sometimes somebody in the church betrays you. Sometimes, every time a pastor changes. Every time. <laughs> so the question becomes, how do we guard against that? What do we do since we know that a loss of faith or a loss of faith community happens in times of transition vulnerability? How do we guard against that? How do we make sure that we don't run out of gas when that happens? Um, and, um, you know, because making the choice and the commitment clearly wasn't enough. They committed themselves to God on that day, but it wasn't enough. And we usually think that it is because, I mean, that's kind of what's been offered to us by a lot of, of faith leaders is that pray the prayer, do the one-off thing, and you're in, and that's it. And it's not that those things are important. Those matters, mat moments matter a lot. Um, and we should remember them, but they aren't enough to sustain us. That one moment of decision isn't going to be a long haul filling our tank. <laughs> so then again, how do we keep from giving up our faith in times of transition or times of vulnerability? And I, I'm seeing a few things in this text. Um, why they started to turn away from God. And you've really already answered that question about, you know, Joshua and the leaders keep their allegiance while they're alive, but they stray away after that. So, I mean, the next question was, what do you think was missing? Why do you think they strayed away after that? What was missing in, in what Joshua did? And I mean, some of the things you've already said, like they were, um, I'm blanking. <laughs> They didn't have the experience and it wasn't maybe passed down to them. What else might've been missing? Even if they did have the experience, memories fade. You get caught up in the now in the present and years after something miraculous or whatever happens, you remember that it happened, but it's no longer so visceral it's memories fade yeah now they do so i was um yesterday for evening prayer the passage that we were reading um was about passover it was an exodus um and apparently i'd never heard this passage before it's in the bible um but apparently every single passover um, you're supposed to sacrifice or present to the Lord all firstborns, all male firstborns, including firstborn sons. And, but you have to then buy back all of the sons by presenting um, some other animal sacrifice instead. And if I was a firstborn son and that had happened during Passover, that would be a memory that I would carry mm -hmm. forward. But... I don't, I like, 
we don't see any of that in the New Testament. We don't see any of that like in any Passover descriptions moving forward. So I have to imagine that people were just like, yeah, we're just going to offer like an animal and call it good. Um, so you don't get that experience every single year of my life doesn't belong to me. <laughs> Um, so I think that kind of goes along with it. Like the, the laziness of, of tradition, you eventually just forget things over time because you just don't do them and you don't have those, those visceral experiences. Yeah. Also that was traumatizing to read, but (laughs) I understand why, but it was. We didn't have any firstborn males, so we didn't have to do anything. (laughs) I wasn't the first one anyway, but yeah. (laughs) Also, we're not Jewish. (laughs) So I think it's, um, you know, you can, historical is important, traditional is important. Those are the things that help us. But I think the thing that was missing here was the relationship. So the, the children of these people who had experienced God apparently didn't have a relationship with him because if I know who you are, I'm not going to forget that you exist. Uh, if I just have an idea of who you might have been historically, then yeah, I might forget that you exist. But um, I was uh, listening to a podcast the other day about religion and, and uh, someone said that their religious views had changed because the religion wasn't serving them anymore that's a, okay well that puts everything on me that's not a relationship that's an idea of that basically acknowledges that religion is something i made up out of my own head and i have to come up with some ideas that i'm okay with and they provide whatever solace and um, help to me that they can but i just know underlying that, that it doesn't make any difference whereas if we have a god whom we know and whom we serve um that helps us to make the right decision. Yeah, I think that is one of the big things that was missing. I mean, if you remember back to Exodus when Moses was trying to be everything to everybody and do all the things and judge every little case, and his father-in-law came in and said, dude, you can't do this. (laughs) You can't. You cannot do everything um, for this nation. You need to outsource and we get the impression here that maybe Joshua didn't learn that lesson that well, that um, he didn't really decentralize this work. He was maybe a great military leader, but maybe not a great pastor, which makes sense because the two don't really go together very well, very often. Um, so they've had this great military leader, but they haven't had a shepherd that passed these stories down and made God real to them. And um, in Ephesians 4.12, it tells us the leader's responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And if a leader's, um, you know, a leader needs to take that very seriously to equip God's people. And um, we, we don't see that this necessarily happened, I think. Um, it's the work, it's, it's not, discipling is not the work of one person. <laughs> it's the work of one leader to pass it on to another leader and to another group of leaders who keeps passing it on. And that's how the next generations get this experience of God because they haven't had the same experiences. They haven't had the crossing of the river. They haven't had the battles and the walls of Jericho falling down, but they need to have new experiences. Because just because you don't see this wall fall down in front of you doesn't mean there's no experience of God working in your life. And we forget that and we don't pass that down. Um, And that's why God said, you know, in Deuteronomy, hey, write it on your doorpost, teach it to your children every day, because otherwise it's not going to happen. And ultimately, um, for me as a pastor, it's me passing it on to you and you bringing it to your families and your communities and your workspaces because I'm not going to be in those places. My job is to work myself out of a job. And so that you don't need me because it's my job to equip the people of Christ to do the work 
of the church. But what happens when we attach our faith to a person or a personality? When they're gone, our faith all falls down. I'm sorry, I didn't hear. When they're gone, our faith goes with them. Yeah, when they're gone, our faith goes with them. When they do something terrible, our faith goes because we had our faith in them. And it seems like they had their faith in Joshua more maybe than they had their faith in God. <laughs> if our faith is attached to a person rather than relationship with God, our faith is vulnerable. It just is. It's um, as, as you were saying before, it has to be attached to a relationship with God. That's what Brent was saying earlier and not your leader. And that's something that didn't happen apparently for the Israelites. And we see that um, to keep going in the New Testament hasn't changed in, in many ways. Anybody want to read 1 Corinthians? I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. So it doesn't change. You get the same thing in the New Testament. I'm following Paul, I'm following Peter, I'm following Apollos, but that's not what we're supposed to be following. We're supposed to be following Christ and having that relationship. So that's an easy trap to fall into. Um, people gravitate to a figure, a central figure. We like that security. We like feeling that we're right because we're behind this person. But Paul says, no, you aren't mine. Your identity is in Jesus and your loyalties lie there and your relationship with Jesus He's Paul saying, I'm just a stand in. I'm just here to facilitate that. I'm here to help nurture that, but I'm not the thing. Jesus is the thing. You try to fill your tank at the gas station of Paul or Peter or Apollos or Joshua, you're going to be empty. It's not going to work. You have to have that relationship with the actual Lord, not the leader. And Joshua says, choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people said at the time that they would serve the Lord with their whole hearts. But really, I think they kind of meant we will serve Joshua. And it's not the same thing. And the next issue that comes up is kind of related to that. Um. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose today whom you'll serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So who makes the choice here? Who's being told to make a choice? You. Mm -hmm. Families. What? Families. Families. Household. The head of the household. Yeah. And if the head of the household, especially back then, was servants and, you know, all kinds of family members and everything, and the head of the house is making a choice, how does everyone else actually feel that they made a choice? Yeah. I mean, that's just looking at cultural stuff, but. You know, if I was part of a 30-member household and the leader chose to follow the Lord, I mean, you see it everywhere. You give lip service to what the company you work for believes in, but that doesn't mean 
you actually believe in everything that they say. Yeah. Yeah. Go to their grandparents and go to church with their grandparents, but don't go normally. Right. And yeah, you're right, Molly. The household wasn't just the nuclear family, you know, that we think of. The household was everyone who lives in my sphere, my extended family, my servants, everything. So it was it was a bigger deal than we imagine. But this gets this really gets to what Catherine was saying earlier that my house is only my house. And Joshua's house can't make that choice for everybody else's house. Um, each house has to make that decision for themselves. And my house isn't going to be there every time somebody else needs to be courageous or choose the right thing over the expedient thing or include somebody else. You know, it's my house isn't going to be there. Your house has to make that choice um, to have chosen to enter into that kind of discipleship. And that's, that's why, you know, watching preachers and whatever on YouTube is, is great for inspiration and encouragement. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not going to disciple you because that person is not in your house and that person can't make those choices for you. So, I mean, the next question, I guess, is do we, do we know what discipleship actually looks like? Like, can we define that? What is that? Isn't making a decision to follow somebody around and learn what they have to teach? Yeah. Yeah, it's very much following and watching and listening and learning. So you can be discipled into anything. I mean, you can be discipled into learning how to play a cello by following and watching and listening and learning from an individual who's really good at it. <laughs> but you also, I mean, we, we need to be discipled into being like Jesus, following someone who's good at it and watching and learning and listening and understanding. But we can't outsource that. We have to make, you know, my house has to choose that every single day, whom my house will serve. And it's not something that another house can do for you. So that's kind of the next, the next part here. If our faith isn't personally chosen daily, our faith is vulnerable. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. But it's not just a one-off thing. As you can see, they chose, but it didn't last. Because we have to choose every morning when our feet hit the floor. We have to choose to intentionally deepen our relationship with Christ so that when times of transition and vulnerability come, we're ready for them. And we won't consider turning away because we have made a habit every single day of choosing whom we're going to serve and whom we're going to follow. And when we walk away from our faith, it's often because we haven't made that choice every day. We've kind of made it once and then difficult things happen or people disappoint us and suddenly the, the ground just drops out. So that's, I guess the next question is how do we do that? How do we choose to serve the Lord every single day? Well, staying true to him, um, you know, be careful who you follow, right? So <clears throat> if someone is just, you know, you, you idolize this person uh, because of their faith or, or whatnot, and then they disappoint you, well, you were idolizing the wrong person. 
basically. Yeah. You know, stay true to who you, you know, stay true to the Lord and true to his testament of everything that he's done for us. Keep the faith as strong as possible. Um, I try to keep my daily devotionals and, you know, even in tough times, just seek out his word and just pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being in constant relationship with him so that I try to, you know, I mean, there's, there's always situations. There's always things that happen that, you know, are going to try to steer you the way I see it. That's going to steer you away or, or tempt you and just try to resist. It's not easy, <laughs> but try to resist. Yeah. Yeah. Cause as you know, Molly and, and Emily were both saying it's the, the experiences fade. And if we're just relying on some experience we have, we had with God, that's going to fade. And so every single day we look at, you know, like you were saying, we look at his word, we look at a devotion, we, we find something that we look out the window and say, man, I'm so grateful for that. We have to see God working today because what God did 30 years ago is not always going to cut it. So you have to look for it. Then. Um, you have to look for it. I also don't remember the scientific number, but I know that you have to have a certain amount of happy experiences to discount an unhappy one. Hmm. So, I think it was like seven to one. Yeah. <laughs> so just thinking about, you know, how many unhappy experiences may have happened in between being let, um, being free from Egypt, like that in itself kind of makes it difficult to, to remember something that's happy mm-hmm. without actively trying to, to find the, the good. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've been through traumatic experiences like that, they did, you might not be able to do that yourself. You might need help. Group therapy for the entire (laughs) congregation of the Israelites. (laughs) Well, and they say, I can't remember again, I can't remember the number, but I did one of the Wednesday night group thingies that we had years ago and it was uh, a woman that was talking about something with the brain and I heard something like for every one compliment no for every 500 compliments you receive on who you are to yourself it only takes one insult to bring it all crashing down and and if we're fighting for our faith and we're not focusing on the positive and we're constantly being beaten down it's hard to remember why we want to get up I was just saying to my cousin last night that I'm really struggling with people. You know, when she and I talk, I've always been the voice of, well, you know, you can't just judge an entire group for, because you don't agree with what some of them do. You can't let the few convince you that that's what the entire, you know, whether it's Christianity or a political party or anything you can't let that be your your example for why you refuse to have anything to do with it and yet I I am really not wanting to get up and have that positive look right now I mean I it's you know I pretty much did a lot of, mm -hmm, instead of, you know, the way we normally talk where she has her opinions and I have my opinions. And I'm usually 
the one trying to say, well, you can't just say these, this is all wrong. You have to step back and remember. And I just, I'm not even doing that right now. You know, my first impression right now with people is just not positive and finding the energy to always be the one fighting to remind others to be more forgiving or to open your eyes and and not let one experience decide your whole life um and i don't even i, I just i haven't even had the energy to do that mm-hmm. so it's really hard um i mean we all know that and then we come together on sundays and it's like yeah you know i believe this and i believe and i have faith and i whatever and yet you get back to your quote unquote real world your your 40 hour a week job or what a 60 hour a week job or whatever whatever it is you're trying to do and if everything being thrown at you is negative you need the habit but it can't only be a habit and when you're exhausted and we're in the middle of we're still stuck in a pandemic that we have no idea when it's going to be over if it's ever going to be over um and you know every everywhere we turn is negativity um we need each other and i don't know where you find all of the strength to to keep the habit to get you through because i have been failing miserably at that the last couple of weeks but um you know you need each other you can't you can't do it alone it's nope. like emily said you just sometimes you need help you're right that is the next thing we we're going to talk about because you said earlier that this isn't just you know mom dad and the kids when we talk about a household we're talking about a big group of people we're talking about everyone involved an entire working community, extended family and everything, when they said, me and my house. And that really can translate to us. Um, Us as each other's house, as each other's family. Um, And if our faith isn't shared and challenged and encouraged in community, it is vulnerable. And so if we're not here, like you said, every week having each other help each other if we're not texting back and forth during the week saying how are you doing and and i haven't kept that up as well as i should have um we are vulnerable especially yeah in this time man it's easy to feel like you're alone it's easy for me to listen to you know like emily was telling us before y'all came on that she went to a store yesterday and the store doesn't care about distancing or letting people in or whatever. And so since she was there, she can't come here because they don't care. And yeah, that makes me mad, Molly. <laughs> it really makes me mad that I can't see my kid because of that, because um, people. So we need our community. Um, that was, that was what they wanted. That was what Israel was supposed to become, that they would settle together and be a community and be one another's village of faith. And that my house would help your house with that. And it also means that, you know, we intentionally include other houses. I know that right now at this point in time, you know, when I'm on social media, I interact with a lot of people who are alone. And when we think about our house, we think about my family and we don't think about, hey, this single person living over here who's completely alone in this. And how do we, how does that person become our family? How do we help them in their faith? How do we help this older person who's alone? Um, You know, what, how do we intentionally 
make our house bigger. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Ideas and how we, how our house helps each other's house. Because gas tank is empty for a lot of people. I think that, and, and this goes back even to our individual houses, is that every person needs to, needs to be responsible in some way, shape, or form. I mean, I just looked at the participants and because I, I, I admitted I didn't join till 1020 because I slept right through um, after not sleeping for yet another night in a row. And I'm the only one on. And I don't know what, I have no idea where the rest of my family is. I'm sure my one daughter's probably in bed possibly both, don't know where Steve is, was sound asleep. And part of me is like, well, how come nobody woke me up for church? Oh, did nobody else want to take the responsibility? And then I thought to myself, well, okay, I may have woken up late, but I didn't go up and tell them either. So I'm not saying it's all on them. <laughs> I mean, I didn't too. I'm sitting here with my eyes closed for the most part listening. And, you know, I have my own reasons for different things right now. But yeah, I mean, we, even kids, you know, we need everybody. And, you know, if we don't feel like it, we don't feel like getting up and listening. We don't feel like too bad. And that goes for me too. I should have gotten up and, and said, hey, come on, it's church. I started late, but come on. And I didn't. So I'm honestly not saying it's everybody else. I'm saying it's me too. How do we fix that? Well, I already said that I'm struggling with it. So I would be interested to hear that as well. <laughs> I think part of that's accountability. So the expectation of everyone by everyone else. Um, I mean, I don't. I don't want our church to become judgmental or anything for people not being there on Sunday morning, but yeah, the concept of like, you show up for family <laughs> and um, kind of like if you had like, you know, a dinner date with a friend or something, like you wouldn't stand up your friend. So part of that I think is switching the mindset it's also hard when like we don't have coffee to draw us in mm -hmm. so if you're tired you're like I could just sit here in silence with my own coffee and not you know deal with people because people suck <laughs> some mornings I don't want to talk to people most mornings I don't want to talk to people yes yes they do and, so, yet, and yet we need them Yes, I know, I know. I'm not allowed to run off into the woods and become a hermit. This is what she told me at like age seven when I told her I was going to run off into the woods and become a hermit and just talk to animals for the rest of my life. And she's like, no, you're not. Because you were made in a world um, where God desires us to be in community with others. So you're not allowed to become a hermit. I also always told her that Whenever my kids said, well, somebody needs to do that. What does I, what's the answer to that? Emily? You're somebody. <laughs> You're somebody. <laughs> yeah. I would just like to say Hildegard of Bingen got away with like isolation and not talking to humans. So, and she's like remembered for being a pretty awesome woman in ministry. So just saying, well, it's possible. But to, to Molly's point, yes, it's, I mean, we have formed a community and everybody's input is really important. 
And I have so appreciated the input of, of every single person here. Um, and when they're not there, it's, it's missing because it's a viewpoint and, and an experience that everybody else hasn't had. So when we're talking about, you know, how do we strengthen our faith in tough times? How do we make sure in vulnerability and transition, we don't walk away or lose faith? Um, that's what one another is for. And if we don't come to one another, then it's easy. It's easy to walk away and say, well, I'll go next week or I'll, you know, this is a hard time and I don't like Zoom and I totally understand that. <laughs> so, you know, when we're in person, I'll be back. But it's really easy to say that and then not come back. And again, I, like, like you said, I, it's not like I want to guilt people who don't come on Sunday morning. That's not the point. But the point is that a household needs to believe together. I think the sharing things in community is, is helpful in the, to the point of we hear about those challenges that each other faces. And sometimes we get an answer to that and sometimes we don't. But what we know is God promises that he's there with us, regardless of what happens. And I know from listening to you all that, uh, you know, sometimes it's those two feet. In other places, it's not, the sun is shining. By looking at the person who's sitting in the sun, you say, okay, the weather's not the same everywhere all the time. And eventually, maybe I'll get into the sun again. But right now, it's kind of a pain. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not, well, many times it's not fun. And uh, we're drawn together more by our suffering than we are by our rejoicing. You know, we're very happy when everything's good. We don't really need anybody else because we're basking in our own glory. But we need to hear those things. We need to hear how the story ends. You know, what happened? What, and well, the story maybe hasn't ended. We're still in that ongoing story. So we all go away, I guess. <laughs> so, so we need each other for, for that, for the encouragement, for to understand, um, you know, how does that work? I'm on the chapter in this book. And sometimes different characters come in, and sometimes they have your life story. So So next week, that's what we're going to do. As I mentioned, we're going to come together for, for a time of sharing and reading and singing songs and telling stories that you bring of what's going on in your life and what your favorite things are that sustain you um, and what God's been doing. So that's kind of what we're going to do next week is witness to one another, each other's household what God um, is doing right now. So anything else before we go to communion? Stop the record.